Hi, and welcome to eTalmud 2.0. We're at the very bottom of Moe Katan 3b. We're going to be doing that and for a Dalit Amad Aleph today, but we're going to start at the very bottom of 3b from the words Vahani Hilchasan Inhu. So, what we've been speaking about until this point is that the Gemara, the Gemara told us that this idea that you're not allowed to plow before the Shemitah year begins on Rosh Hashanah um, for 30 days, for the month before the Shemitah year begins, we the Gemara right now believes that we learn this from Halacha Lamosha Misinai, which is part of our oral tradition, but it's of great significance because it was a a lesson that Moshe learned directly from God at Mount Sinai and then has been transmitted orally ever since. And that's where we think that this prohibition of plowing 30 days before Shemitah comes from. Now we're going to ask on that. And are these 30 days really a law that we learn based on a halacha Moshe mi Sinai, a law that Moshe learned at Sinai? Crying in who? Aren't they based on the verses themselves? Aren't, can't you, don't you find the source for them in the words of the Torah themselves? It's not, because we learned in a Mishnah. The Pasuk, the verse tells us that at the plowing and at the reaping, you shall rest. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Rabbi Akiva understands this verse as discussing Shemitah and says, the verse did not need to say that you have to refrain from plowing and reaping of the seventh year. Because the verse already says regarding the Shemitah year that you're not allowed to sow your field and your vineyard you shall not prune. And um, and of course, if you're not allowed to... Um, if you're not allowed to sow and prune, then so would we say you're not allowed to plow and reap. So you wouldn't need a verse specifically to mention this. Rather, it must be that that verse is coming to teach you um, about the plowing of before the Shemitah year begins. And as well, uh, of, of the plowing for whom whose benefit will go into the seventh year. And then as well, the reapings of the seventh year's produce, which continues into the year after the seventh. So what we see here, so what is that, just by the way, what does this refer to? Let's just quickly talk about it. Um, so plowing before Shemitah begins, that would help for the Shemitah year, is plowing before Shemitah, which will aid the growth of the crops during the Shemitah year. And when we talk about um, when we talk about reaping of the seventh year, that will help, um, which continues. I'm sorry, into the year after the seventh. What does that refer to? That refers to grain that perhaps grew on its own during the seventh year, or it was planted illegally during the seventh year, and then it continued to grow into the following year. So this grain is generally harvested in the eighth year, but we say that it has to be treated like the produce of the seventh year because it was fit to be harvested at that point already. So you can't use it for for transactional purposes and you'd have to remove it um, from your home once there is no longer ready to be readily available crops in the field. But that's what we, so basically what Rabbi Kivado is telling us, what we, ha, what we see from this is that the verse itself is what's teaching us that you're not allowed to plow your fields before the Shemitah, even before the Shemitah year. Rabbi Shmuel Omer, Rabbi Shmuel understands that this verse 
of becharishu v'akotzer tishbos that from plowing and from reaping you shall rest is not a, is not actually referring to the seventh year, but rather it's referring to Shabbos. It's referring to Shabbat itself, and it's coming to teach you something interesting. Macharish rishos af rishos. It's coming to teach you that just like the prohibition of plowing on Shabbos is a reference to plowing that is done for just discretionary reasons, for not for not for mitzvah reasons, because there's no such thing as a mitzvah plowing. So we know that if it says you're not allowed to plow on Shabbos, um, it would be plowing that is not for mitzvah reason, because there's no such thing as a mitzvah reason on Shabbos of, of plowing. So af katsurishos. So so too, when we prohibit the reaping on Shabbos, it's only the type of reaping that's similar to the plowing that's prohibited, which is the type of reaping that's not for mitzvah purposes. Yatsa kitsir haomer, which would then exclude the the um, reaping of the grain for the omer sacrificial offering, shehi mitzvah, which is a mitzvah. And what this verse is telling us is it's it's juxtaposing the reaping done on Shabbos to the plowing done on Shabbos to teach us to just like the plowing that's not allowed on Shabbos is only for non-mitzvah purposes, so too the reaping that's done on, that's prohibited on Shabbos is only reaping for non-mitzvah purposes. However, if it's for a mitzvah purpose such as um, reaping your crops, your barley for the Omer offering, um, because the crop has to be reaped on the night before the offering is brought, that would therefore be allowed. But we do see from Rabbi Akiva that the prohibition against plowing your field before Shemitah for those 30 days is actually right from the Torah, um, which then means that the Halachala Moshe Sinai, the specific law that, our, that Moshe learned in Sinai, that talks about the prohibition of plowing prior to Shemitah must be a reference to um, a prohibition that extends all the way back to Pesach and Shavuos. And if that's the case, how could Rabbi Gamliel have come along then? Um, and uh, and then the big question would be is how then could Rabbi Gamliel come along and nullified um, the prohibition against plowing from Pesach and Shavuos if, in fact, that prohibition was a halacha Moshe Sinai, was a tradition from Moshe at Sinai, and not just an enactment of the rabbis, of earlier rabbis. So what the Gemara is going to answer is that really both the halacha Moshe Sinai and the Torah verses, according to Rabbi Akiva, they both refer to the 30 days before Shemitah. But they're both necessary, and this is how we're going to learn it. So when the Lachamoshimisina the was there to tell you that you're allowed to plow 30 days before the Shemitah for the sake of a sapling, while the verses came to forbid plowing for the sake of a mature tree. So this is how we're going to understand it. The Halakha Lamoshimisina wasn't coming to teach you a prohibition. It was coming to teach you a, a permission. Um, and the permission was that it was coming to teach you was that for the sake of a sapling, you're actually allowed to plow um, even 30 days before Shemitah. Because if you don't, then the sapling will die. So you're not doing it to to as a luxury. You're not doing it to, to, um, to make it grow better. You're doing it to save it. And the verse 
that tells you about the 30 days before Shemitah, that's coming to teach you a prohibition that you're not allowed to plow for the sake of a mature tree because a mature tree can last um, without that plowing. And therefore, all you would be doing is helping its growth. You'd be um, not, not just maintaining it. So that's the idea here. But then we obviously have a question. But once the oral law was received to permit plowing for the sake of a sapling, that's what the halacha l'moshim yisina was telling me to teach you, that giving you specific permission in the case of a sapling, lav memela zekena asira, wouldn't, we, wouldn't it automatically follow that for the sake of something that's not a sapling, then it would be forbidden. So what then do you need a verse coming to teach you that it's forbidden to plow 30 days before the festi- before Rosh Hashanah? Wouldn't the inference from the halacha l'moshim yisina be that you're allowed to plow for the sake of a sapling, the inference being that you're not allowed to plow for the sake of a mature tree. <laughs> Ella, rather, we have to say as follows. Hilchasola Rabbi Shmal, Rabbi Kiva. Rather, according to Rabbi Shmal, rather, this is what this is the idea. The source for the prohibition to plow for 30 days before Shemitah, according to Rabbi Shmael, is the Halachal Moshe Misinai. And there is no verse that teaches you that. And according to Rabbi Akiva, it's not a halachal Sinai that teaches you this, it's the verse that teaches you this. Because we said that Rabbi Yishmael used the verse that Rabbi Akiva learned this from to teach us an interesting law about Shabbos. So for him, it's the halachal Sinai that teaches you the prohibition of plowing 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, before Shemitah begins. And according to Rabbi Akiva, it's there, um, you learn it from the verse, and the halachal um is not is is um is not necessary for this. He would basically dispute the very existence of the Salah Lamoshim Sinai. Okay. Now we're going to talk about Rebbe Gamliel coming along and nullifying this law this prohibition against plowing prior to Shemitah. Um, and we're going to understand it as follows. Um, and we're going to understand it as follows. Um, up until this point, we think that what Rabbi Gamliel nullified was was the prohibition that the rabbis had made, that Hillel and Shammai had made, extending the prohibition of plowing your field before Shemitah all the way back to Pesach and Shavuos. And the Rebbe Gamliel came along and said, no, the only thing that still stands is the 30 days before Shemitah. Now we're going to understand that Rebbe Gamliel perhaps nullified even the 30 days before Shemitah, completely nullified a prohibition of plowing before Shemitah. So let's see, let's talk about this. For Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Gamliel in his court nullified all of the pre-Shemitah plowing restrictions um, based on a biblical source. My time. So what was what is the reason? Or what was Rabbi Gamliel's source? Gomar Shabbos, Shabbos, Mi Shabbos, He derived through Xerah Shava, which is the usage of a similar word, which is extra in both cases, in two different verses. So you can then say that the two verses share commonalities. He saw that the word Shabbos is used in reference to Shemitah, the word Shabbat, and the word Shabbos is used in the reference to um, what we know as Shabbat, the Shabbat of creation or the seventh day of the week. 
Okay, so so what is this? What is he learning? The word Shabbos from the word Shabbos. Malahalan hiasura. Just like we say when it comes to the day of Shabbos, the seventh day of the week, it's forbidden in the performance of labor during the day itself. But lefanehu lacharehu mutarin. But right before Shabbos begins, and right after Shabbos begins, then forbidden labor is permitted. Afkan hiasura. So too with regard to Shemitah. During the year itself, it's forbidden. Certain labors, certain ways of working your field. But right before and right after, it'll be permitted. So we see Rebbe Gamliel, he got rid of the of the prohibition whatsoever to, um, based on a biblical source, to prohibit work on the field before the Shemitah year begins. Now, Maskefla Ravashi, Ravashi asks on this, Manda Amar Hilchasa, according to the one who says, the 30 days before the Shemitah are forbidden by way of Halachal Moshe Misinai, a tradition that Moshe received at Mount Sinai. Asik Shava, Akra Hilchasa, can Shava, which Rabbi Gamliel just used, come and uproot an oral law? Umanda Amarkra, and so too, if you learn that the prohibition 30 days before is from a Torah source, a verse, Asik Shava, Akra Kra, can Xera Shava come and uproot a verse? So how could Rabbi Gamliel come and tell us about Xera Shava, about a similar usage of words, which does work, but you can't use that to uproot neither a Halacha Moshe Misinai or a Torah verse. So rather it must be Rabbi Gamliel had, had it differently. Ella Amar Ravashi, rather Ravashi says, Rabbi Gamliel veis dino savri lak Rabbi Shmo da Amar Helchasag Mirila. Rabbi Gamliel and his court, they held in accordance with Rabbi Shmuel, who said that the rule prohibiting plowing 30 days before Shemitah was an oral tradition, was a halacha la Moshe Misinai, and they learned this law, this this tradition, this oral law, as referring to Bizman only when the temple was still standing. Just like the oral law that tells us about the libations of water, the water libations that take place in Sukkot, which also only apply to when the temple is standing. But when the temple is no longer standing, lo, then we this law does no longer this law does not apply, and that's how Rebbe Gamliel nullified completely the prohibition of plowing before Shemitah. And we will now we will begin the next part the next. A new analysis. We're going to go back to the Mishnah that we learned, and we're going to analyze the next part of that Mishnah. So we're done talking about Shemitah. We're now back to talking about what is permitted and not permitted as far as um, as far as irrigating your field on Chol Hamoid on the intermediate days of the festival, where we had said in the Mishnah. Now we're quoting the Mishnah. You're not allowed to water. Even an irrigated field during Chalamoid from a pool of rainwater or from the water of a well. And the Gemara is going to say, Bishlama make Hilo. And it's understandable that the water of a well you should not be allowed to use because because then there's excessive exertion, which is not allowed on Chalamoid. Excessive exertion, insofar as that you have to go draw from the well, which could be very deep, um, with a pail, and it's a lot of exertion. Alameg Shamim, but. Using a pool of rainwater for irrigation, what exertion is there in watering from it? All you have to do 
is it's just a it's a rainwater pool all you have to do is kind of dig a little trail with your feet and make sure the water follows that little trail to your field it's it's no it's no exertion whatsoever Amar Rabbi Ilaa, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Ilaa said of the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Gzera megishamim atu mekilon. Rainwater is prohibited as a precaution on account of the water of a well. If we start allowing you to use the rainwater pool, it looks pretty similar to the water of a well. And it looks pretty similar to a well, which it does. Um, so we say that you're not allowed to do one because you may come to do the other, which is prohibited. Ravashi Amar, Ravashi said, The Ravashi says, no, the pool of rainwater itself will eventually come to be like the water of a well, you know, and, um, and, and requiring a pail. And therefore we say that even though right now there may not be extra exertion, it could eventually come to that point where it would need to take extra exertion. And if we allow it will end up coming perhaps to this point where we are exerting ourselves, which is prohibited. So the Kamiflagibid Rabbi Zera, and these two explanations, Rabbi Yochanan's and Ravashis, they disagree with regard to the teaching of Rabbi Zera. Dama Rabbi Zera, Amar Rabbi Bar Yirmiya, Amar Shmuel, because Rabbi Zera said in the name of Rabbi Bar Yirmiya, who said in the name of Shmuel, Neharos min ha'agamim, if you have streams that draw water from ponds, Mutter lahashkos mehen it's permitted to water from them during Chol HaMoed. So you have streams that draw water from ponds, and these ponds have rainwater. Um, it's allow- you're allowed to water from them during Chol HaMoed. Mar Isleid Rabbi one master of Ashi would agree with this view of Rabbi Zera. Umar Leslie Rabbi Zera and the other master Rabbi Yochanan would not agree to the view of Rabbi Zera. So what's the difference between them? So let's just talk about what what the reason what what the idea here is. So Rav Ashi, who said that rainwater itself will eventually come to be like the water of a well, it will not be, it may come to not being so well sustained and therefore become have very little water in it, in which you will need a pail, in which you need exertion. They he would um. He would agree to the view of Reb Zera, which is because because in this scenario, when we talk about water from ponds, ponds will never come to the point of needing replenishing, of getting so low. They'll always have constant access to water, and therefore he would say that in this scenario, you would be allowed to draw water from it because you don't have to worry that eventually it will come to be like the water of a well. Whereas Rabbi Yochanan, who says the reason that you're not allowed to take from this pool of rainwater in the Mishnah is because it's a precaution on account of the water of a well because they look similar, they are similar. So to here, he would disagree with Rabbi Zera and say you can't draw from the water of a pond because as well, it looks similar and it is similar to the water of a well. So that would be the idea here. Okay, now we're going to talk more about this ruling of Rabzera, Gufa. So the text stated, Amar Rabzera, Rabzera, Amar Shmuel, Rabzera said in the name of Rabzera, who said in the name of Shmuel, in the Haras HaMoshchemayim, mean ha'agamim, streams that draw water from ponds, mutter mehashkos mein b'chol shemoed, you're allowed to water from them during chol hamoed, your field. That's the idea. So Eisver, Rabzera, Rabzera, so Rabzera challenged Rabzera, Based on our Mishnah, it says, Avalomi megashamim, velomi mekilon. Doesn't our Mishnah say that you're not allowed to water from a pool of rainwater, nor from the water of a well, 
on Chol HaMoed because of the fear that the water level will decrease and cause the person to draw from the depths, which will be extra exertion. So why wouldn't we have the same worry when it comes to these ponds? So Amar Leh, so Reb Zero would answer to Yermia and said, Yermia Bri, Yermia, my son, Hani Agamim de Bavil Kamaya de I'm talking about specific ponds. These ponds of Babylonia are like water which does not stop. There's never the concern that it's going to get so low that you're going to have to exert yourself with pails. You don't have to worry. Okay. And we have a similar teaching. Tan Rabbanu the rabbis taught, Hapsikos vabrechos in Ismalu Mayamir If you have ditches and pools that were filled with water from before the festival, then you're not allowed to use the, that water to water them to water during Chol because they may come to the point where um, because the water limit there is re- limited, we're concerned that the water level can drop and you'd have to exert yourself. But if a spring-fed water channel passes between them, it's permitted because then we never have to worry that you're going to run out of water. Amrav Papa Rav Papa says, And this is true only if um, a majority of the field drinks or is at least able to be um, watered from the water channel at one time. Right? So we have this channel, which is fed by a natural spring. But the worry is, is that if you take too much of it at one time, it can cause it to dry, run dry temporarily. So Rav Papa says that if at least the majority of the field can be watered from it before this occurs, then you can water from the reservoirs that get their water from this channel. Um, and the basically idea is, is that then you could assume that between the ditch or the reservoir and the channel itself, you'll be able to get enough water for your field. Ravashi Amaravashi says he disagrees. And he says, Even if the majority of the field could not be watered from this that channel at one time, since the water of that channel is constantly coming, meaning it would only be a temporary temporary drying up, the person will say, If part of my field can't drink one day, Yoma Tishti, uh, then we'll drink over the next day, second day, over the third day. So he's not going to go go through the trouble of bringing water from a different source, which will require extra exertion, which would be prohibited. So you don't have to worry about that. And um, and because he's he realizes that the channel will just refill um, consistently, and whatever doesn't get water today will get water the next day. Tanurabanan. Um, so now that we're talking about watering fields, here's another. There's another teaching. If you have a pool into which water trickles from one irrigated field, so you have a pool, so you have an irrigated field, and then underneath it a pool, and the irrigated field, all of the water that comes into it, it trickles into that pool. So then you can use that pool to water another irrigated field on Chol HaMoed. And the reason for that is, um, is that because the original irrigated field, the first one, um, is obviously irrigated by some sort of spring, and that we're not worried that that spring will stop up, so you can... Um, so you can use the pool that comes from the irrigated field, which comes from the spring, to water your um, your next your uh, your field on Chalamoid.
But then we say, Vahavira de Pascha. But wait a minute, the water in the pool is likely to drawn out, which would then require you to draw water from another source, which could which will require exertion. So that should be prohibited. So Gemara says, Amrabirmiya says, Vadainhi metaftefes. We're talking about a case where water is still trickling from the upper irrigated field into the pool, so we're not worried that the pool is going to dry up. Amra Bayabai says, Vahushalopasak Mayamrisham. What's important to keep in mind is that this is provided that the first spring, which flows into the upper irrigated field, it, that cannot have stopped running, because if that stopped running, then we do have to worry. Okay, one more. We'll do two more teachings. One more teaching on the topic of irrigated fields. Tanya was taught in a bride, and just so we know, we have a, a couple more pages of, of irrigated fields, and then we're back to talking more about, about far, far, far more relevant, at least for our day and age um, rules um, and mitzvot um, having to do with Chol HaMoed. Tanya, we learned in a Brisa, which then go on to branch into very relevant laws as well, beyond Chol HaMoed. Tanya, we learned in a Brisa, says, you have two beds in a field, one higher than the other. You're not let it draw from the water supply in the lower one and water the upper one because that involves too much exertion. Yosrael Kane Amar Belazar Shimon, so too did Rabbi Lazar Shimon say, Afilo Aruga Achas, even if you have one bed, Chetzia Namach Chetzia Gvoa, one is on a lower level, and one half of it is on a lower level, one half is it on a higher level. Again, Lo Yadli Makum Namach Yashkum Makum Gvoa, you're not allowed to draw water from the water supply in the lower place and then water the upper place again because it requires too much exertion. So we'll stop here for today um, and have a wonderful, wonderful day.